Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March 31st, 2020 podcast from Teller County. Today, we have Dr. Jeremy DeWall. He's the Teller County Medical Director, and also Christine Sines. She is the EMS Liaison. Christine and Jeremy, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it, Greg. Let's get right into it. Uh, We know we're going to see some adjustments in the EMS response here uh, since we're dealing with this pandemic. Can you talk about some adjustments in that response and what that's going to look like to folks? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the uh, big changes is we are following something called a tiered response for capacity events, which essentially means we're expecting a continued uptick in the amount of EMS calls, 911 calls, medical issues, and as well as dealing with our normal day-to-day trauma, other events, heart attacks, those kind of things. So what we're looking at doing is we have a system called the Clawson system that our dispatch centers use, and that includes Woodland Park, Cripple Creek, as well as Teller County Sheriff. And the Clawson system basically gives out different levels of potential response. This is a nationally accepted, even internationally accepted uh, standard for EMS dispatch and uh, other dispatch processes. And it includes a system that involves Alpha, Bravo, Uh, Charlie, Delta, Echo, and Omega responses. Now, that's a whole bunch of words that don't mean a lot to people except really in EMS and dispatch. And what that means is, for example, an alpha call is someone who may have a very minor injury, doesn't require a full-blown response. In normal terms, we would send a basic life support ambulance in large communities that use these non-emergent to that type of call. where an so, echo, so that means no lights and sirens. Exactly, exactly. And then an echo call, for example, is the other extreme. This is a cardiac arrest or someone critically ill that requires a full lights and sirens response from first responders as well as ambulances. A lot of times police also respond um, to those calls as well or law enforcement. And really you're getting the whole Calvary there because it's a super sick patient. What we are doing with this current pandemic as the volumes increase is we actually have adjusted our response to fit this Clawson system in the way it's meant to be used. So, for example, if you have a very minor injury, you're you're still likely to get help. You're going to get um, more likely a fire engine if you're not going to need transport who can provide medical care, take care of you, and likely be able to keep you at home, which is nice. Then you don't get exposed in the hospital. You don't have a transport, potential costs associated with it, those kind of things. But if someone's sick enough, you'll get an ambulance response. Um, and as as this progresses, as we expected to with increased volumes, there is a very small category of folks that will meet specific criteria that they actually really just need some phone help. And the goal is that the 911 dispatch center will be able to screen that through a system we call protocol 36. And that information will then be transferred on to a nurse and EMS triage line who can get further information about your symptoms, who can make sure that we're not missing anything else, other details that would require uh, EMS response. And if it does, we'll get the right people coming to you. And if it doesn't, we'll get you really good resources. We'll get you follow-up, whether it's calling your primary care physician the next day or get you telehealth resources through our TelerCOVID website, um, so on and so forth. So it's really a tiered response, and the goal is to keep enough providers in the community available for all the calls that we need so that everybody in our community is taken care of when they call 911. So it's like a super efficiency model. Exactly. And it is actually used. It's a system that we have had in place for a long time as far as the Clawson system, 
but we haven't needed to necessarily implement it because our volumes haven't always been high enough that we need to kind of divvy up who's going where. But this is a system that's well known. It's used through virtually all of the larger urban areas in the United States and beyond. So Colorado Springs is using a component of it. Uh, um, Seattle uses it. Chicago uses it. Milwaukee. Lots of different places. There's lots of different cities that are larger urban centers that this is just normal daily operations. We're just doing it in order to support our community better. So what's that going to look like on the other side, the, the patient side? Uh, the person who calls 911 needs a medical response. The equipment and the folks get there. Um, there's some probably some differences there that's going to be happening too, right? That's correct. And Christine, I'll kind of let you speak to that. As a matter of fact, today we worked on a lot of education with our EMS providers with this regarding using telehealth. Mm -hmm. um, we have a platform through WhatsApp. Okay, WhatsApp perfect. is uh, yeah. freely available to the community. It's an easy thing to download. There's a desktop version as well as a phone version. Um, don't worry if you can't get it, if you don't have internet connectivity or your cell phone doesn't work where you are. We have other ways to do it. We can talk about that in a little bit, but I'll let Christine kind of fill you in on the process of this. So in the situation where you are presenting with symptoms similar to flu or COVID symptoms that we see, we will send out the resources based on how severe your symptoms present. If you present in that Charlie to Delta that Dr. DeWall was talking about, then we'll send out an ambulance, possibly an ambulance and a fire truck. You'll see a provider who takes some time outside your home putting on protective equipment. We want you to realize we're not trying to delay care getting to you, but we're trying to protect the providers and the resources to be available for future patients. Right. So in that respect, we'll get to you as quick as we can. Once we have done that, we're going to bring an automated blood pressure cuff, a pulse ox. If you're able to use the WhatsApp, we'll set that down and have you come out and grab that. While you're doing that, we're looking at you and we're assessing, are you sick enough that we need to take you immediately to our ambulance and get you down to the hospital? Or is this a situation where we can take some time to assess you and determine, are you able to stay home? And with some additional resources, the telehealth or your own physician, or maybe you're not even at that point, you just continue to watch then we'll utilize those resources for you. If you need to just wait it out and you notice that as you're waiting, you're getting sicker, we have a list of symptoms to watch for, and that's when you need to call us back. We're always capable and ready to come back, any 911 call. If you feel like things have gotten worse, we're going to come back, we're going to reassess you. Just because we come out once and we do a release of care does not mean that we will not respond again. Yeah, I think that's important for people to understand. And Greg, this is actually a really cool system. It's it's cutting edge. It's something that the uh, Centers for 
Medicare and Medicaid actually about a year ago put out a pilot program grant process um, of which our agency, such as uh, Ute Pass Regional Health Service District up here in Northern Teller County actually applied for. It was a almost 500 page application just for this program. And it's actually developed and it's called uh, ET3, Emergency Triage Treatment and Transport. So the emergency triage side, what they are actually looking at doing is this pilot program of which is what we're doing now as our COVID response is transferring some of those calls that don't necessarily need a fire engine or an ambulance to the triage line to be able to get you assistance and follow up and keep you safe, but also save you a lot of the hecticness of all these people showing up at your house lights and sirens. In addition, it includes that treatment category and transport category of transporting to alternative destination situations like that, of which we may end up doing in the future. We're not quite to that. We're still doing our normal transport, but that also includes treat in place, which is where we allow people to stay at home. Uh, We assess them, as Christine talked about, and we're not leaving sick people at home. We have certain vital sign parameters. We have certain key, what we would call red flags of different conditions or symptoms that someone has. Uh, If you end up getting transferred to the triage line, they're going to ask you very similar questions to which we would if we do show up at the home in that situation, depending on your initial triage through dispatch. Um, And it's a pretty cool system. And we also include a handout with a paper handout with instructions on it, which is very helpful, big print, all that, that we actually set out with the blood pressure, cough, and pulse ox. So the patient can read that along with the provider walking them through the steps. Um, We'll help them how to use the pulse ox, how to do a blood pressure cuff through the WhatsApp program. It's pretty slick. Um, And then we also give them a printed version of a essential discharge instruction. If you've ever been to the hospital, it's that kind of instruction. It has resources, things to look out for, how long you should stay quarantined for, um, your telehealth resources, things to look out for for calling 911, and even a category of phone number to call for DHS in Teller County which we have set up through Incident Command that will be able to help people who have to stay in their home with food, shelter, situations like that if they need it. So we are reaching out and having DHS contact all of those folks that get to stay at home and make sure they have the resources to be able to stay there so they don't have to worry about trying to get to the store or those kind of things. And certainly they don't need to hoard ahead of time just in case. So it's pretty cool. And then the last thing we do is a release of care, which The old term used to be refusals with EMS, and we've gotten away from that because nobody's refusing anything. They're just being informed and making a good informed decision for their health in discussion with our EMS clinicians. So we have them go through that form. It's very straightforward saying, hey, call us back, follow the resources, et cetera, and then call this phone number, and we just have them do a verbal saying, yeah, I agree to this, and I'm willing to stay. Another thing I want people to know is, When we tell them that they can stay at home, that doesn't mean that they weren't sick or they shouldn't have called 911. There are times when you feel sick and we are saying you are sick, you're just not in this particular situation that we're in with COVID sick enough to be seen in an ER. And we're trying to protect you from, if you have something other than COVID, being exposed to that in addition in the ER. Sounds like it's a really good system. It's efficient. It's forward thinking. Uh, It's something that's new that we've already implemented here. Um, That's great. We're not in the clear yet. I think there's a misnomer out there that people think that, oh, we don't have, we have, you know, so many cases in Teller County and then we're, we're doing so well. 
they still have to remember that we're not in the clear, right? That's correct, Greg. I mean, if we look, I think when I looked this morning, checked our last numbers, I've been busy doing a few other things, so I haven't checked in a bit. We were at eight confirmed cases in Teller County. That could be higher now, could have changed. It's just been a few hours since I looked, and we know it's rapidly changing. We have to remember we're sitting right adjacent to a county, El Paso County, who has a significant number of cases and, quite frankly, a significant number of deaths. Um, as of yesterday, they had the highest number of deaths in the state of Colorado. That doesn't mean they're not getting good medical care. That doesn't mean that uh, we're missing things on the EMS side or people aren't calling appropriately. It's just the process of the disease. As the numbers go up, we will have an increase in fatalities, unfortunately. Uh, doing the social distancing is really the biggest thing. We can do salvage measures for folks who are getting sick. Um, a lot of them do fine. 80% of folks do fine and survive this and do okay. 20% um, are not dying. 20% are needing hospitalization. Now, the groups that are at risk, we've all heard that, right? 65 and older of 80% of people who die, uh, it's in the age range of 65 and older or comorbidities such as diabetes, kidney disease, uh, lung disease. However, 45% of the hospitalized patients are between the ages of 20 and 45 years old. So that is the younger group. And I know initially when this started, we had lots of folks hanging out on the beaches of Florida saying, I don't care. It's not going to be that bad for me. We're talking significant illness in the younger population as well. Most of them go on to survive and do great. But there is significant illness there. And for a lot of these folks, we're not talking a short time frame. We're talking up to weeks on a ventilator and other care. So obviously that ties up that machine for other folks who could need it. So the best thing for us to do is do social distancing, stay away from each other, stay at home, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, enjoy the simple things in life, um, get back to that, do projects around the house. On the uh, tellercovid.com website, it's pretty cool, right? We have pictures on there, folks that can submit them and show us what they are doing right now. And there's some pretty neat stuff on there. It's awesome to see. And they're doing appropriate social distancing. So we're not out of the woods. The reason we don't have high numbers up here is because we are testing appropriately. It's not because, yes, there's limitations on personal protective equipment. There's limitations on testing medium. There's more and more of that coming out. There's two new, more rapid tests. But the right answer is not testing everybody. That doesn't help us. We know the disease is here. We know it's in our community. We know it's continuing to spread. We think it's spreading slower than it would if we weren't doing social distancing. There's no question about that. But we still have it here, and it's still a problem, and we're not at our peak we're probably weeks out from our peak truly of the highest instance of disease and the highest stress on our healthcare system. So yeah, we're not out of the woods yet. It's just because we're appropriately testing the sickest of the sick and we do test healthcare providers so we can get them back in service to take care of all of our community. Sure. There's you know, only a finite amount of resources exactly. with providers and first responders. We have to take care of them. I would encourage while we want you to socially isolate, reach out by web-based platforms, phone, stay connected with your friends and your family. If you have parents, grandparents who are older, check in on them. Make sure that they're doing okay. If they're not, you're having a hard time reaching them. Let people know so that if we need to do a check the welfare, we can do that. Make sure that our older population, our more at-risk population is being monitored. Yeah, there's definitely a mental health component to this. We haven't even seen the peak of, I don't think, yet. Yeah, yes. isolation is a horrible thing. We as humans are not designed to be isolated. Even it's, it's interesting to see when you even talk to folks who are true introverts, 
and really are introverted, this is even tough for them. This is a different thing because even if you're an introvert, you still have the ability when you want to, to go out and even secondarily be around folks and extroverts, this is horrible for them. (laughs) They do not do well with it, but I think people are finding really cool ways to deal with it. And I, I really think the big thing is we're all in this together. We're all dealing with the same thing, not just as Teller County or the city of Woodland Park or Cripple Creek or Victor, those kind of things, but we're dealing with this as a world. It's amazing. We've we've been on calls this morning with Singapore talking to us, as a matter of fact, about their healthcare system and their struggles. And we're, we're gaining information from all over, not only the United States, but the world on how to best care for our community as this thing continues to grow. And it's cool because it's in the way that we are all connected in ways we never were able to be before. And we are really seeing that our struggles are the exact same no matter where in this world you actually are right now. Yeah, it's like we're, we're dealing with this as a species. Yes. I mean, it affects everybody. You have senators, world leaders that, are, that have it. Hopefully, you know, all that turns out. So I think the one concern I know folks will have is if they don't have internet or they don't have a phone that can do WhatsApp, those kind of situations. And it's still the same rules, everybody. When you call 911 or you ask for help from fire and EMS, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to respond. If you uh, meet the criteria as things do progress to go to nurse triage line, we will get you to the right people. And we have safeguards in place. And those that line likely will be ran by both nurses as, e, as well as EMS providers. And we are training those folks to make sure that we're secondarily going through your symptoms and making sure you have resources. If you do need a fire truck or an ambulance or a single paramedic, we have those resources. Don't worry if you don't have the technology. We'll get to your home. We'll figure it out. We're going to ask you through dispatch still to step outside. That's the best thing, the safest thing. We can see you right away. You don't have to step outside and stand out in the freezing cold if we get any more snow or those situations. You can stand by your door and as soon as they arrive, step out. Just don't approach the providers. Please wait. Listen to their instructions. They have very set guidelines they're going to follow. And then if you don't have the technology, we'll do it the way we've always done it. We'll put on our appropriate equipment. We're going to likely send one provider in only which is what you need at the time. And we're going to bring in our machines or the audit, the automated blood pressure cuff, the things that we would normally give you. Or if you get nervous and you don't know how to use it, give us some time. It'll take a bit. We'll get ready. We'll come in and we'll do it. And we'll interact directly with you if we need to. Um, that is not a problem. The electronics is not a substitute to anything we do. So we have ways and fail safes in place that everyone will get taken care of. Everyone will get assessed. The one thing I would ask all of the folks that get to stay at home, and you're the lucky ones, that means you're doing well. The criteria for staying at home basically mean your vital signs are looking really good and you don't have those red flags. It doesn't mean you don't have some risks because you're older, you have diabetes or other things. It means you're okay. If you go to hospital as an ER doc, I'm going to send you home still if it's the exact same findings I have. But that means if you do get sicker, call us back. That's what we're there for. We would rather have someone call us back that we leave at home if they do start getting sicker, having increased shortness of breath, chest pain, things like that, please call us back. We'll come back and check you over. We won't leave you hanging. Exactly. Exactly. We're all in this together. That's what it comes down to. If we leave you at home, that doesn't mean that you don't have COVID. So please don't go out and spread whatever you do have. Yeah. And interestingly, Greg, we've actually found this is something that's relatively newer in about the last week, week and a half. COVID, we all think of it as a respiratory illness, right? It's a flu-like illness, we call it. 
But we actually found from the Seattle data that about 5 to 10% of patients were presenting with nausea and vomiting. Now from some of our other data from that area as well as New York and other areas that have a larger population of COVID patients that we know of right now, um, they're presenting with diarrhea. Some are presenting with some vague abdominal pain. So our EMS providers are going to be cautious on no matter what kind of call they go on, whether it's trauma, medical, whatever. And they're going to ask you questions that you may think are a little outside of what they should be asking because of the reason you called for an ambulance. Yeah, you, you fall down and hit yourself. Well, they're going to ask you all these other questions. Yeah. Well, I just hit my head. What's the problem? You know, it's it's all interconnected and we really don't know a whole lot about this yet. Yeah, and people who fall may have COVID. People who are in a car crash may have been driving to see their primary care physician because of their respiratory illness. And that's really the caution. Once again, it's to protect our providers and to protect our community so we're all available throughout this entire event because this is going to take a while and we're going to get through it together. And by having EMS resilience and community resilience, we'll make it through this. All right. Well, I think that's that's a, that's a lot of information in a short period of time. I really appreciate you both coming in. You're very well educated and, and you're able to really speak to the public and get that message out. So we really appreciate you coming in. Absolutely. Oh, and we're glad to be part of the team. And uh, I think it's amazing how everyone's working together from law enforcement to public health to hospital to EMS. So this has been wonderful. And thank you for the opportunity. You bet. We'll do this again, folks. We will update the information that we have as we learn more about this pandemic. And we will make sure that we pass that along to everyone. As usual, our producer, Tommy, will make sure that he includes any links and other information that we spoke about today in the podcast description. And thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. This podcast was made possible by the Teller County Honorary Deputy Sheriff's Association. The HDSA is a nonprofit organization dedicated to increasing public safety and awareness by providing safety and survivability equipment to deputies, administering community events like Shop with a Hero, and enabling information programs like this podcast. 